0: Hello everybody, we are talking about the worst mistakes when photographing your artwork. If you would like to grow as an artist and you can't afford an art class, we've got everything you need at ArtProf, critiques, tutorials, professional development, and workshops. Photographing your artwork seems like it should just be straightforward, but it is not deep deep. Why is that?
1: I think there's a reason that being a photographer as a whole career, it's actually a lot more difficult to get that image that's in your head produced um, in a full image. But there's so many elements that can go wrong or just make or break your final artwork photography. So I think it's really important to like know what elements you're working with and how to get the best final result as possible.
0: And your photographs literally can make or break any initiative you're trying to make as an artist because i really do think 99.999 percent of the time when i see somebody's artwork it's in a photo it's actually extremely rare for me to see somebody's artwork in person and so if you think about it that way it's like oh my god those photos really matter
1: oh absolutely i think about when you're submitting to be in like a a gallery show or a group show or even for grants, people are not walking into your studio and seeing your work in person. They're seeing it all digitally. So it has a huge impact, the photography quality on you know how people are responding to your work and if they're actually seeing it for what you've you know, put so many hours into to create weeks, months, years, who knows? You want that to be a reflection of that hard work you've put in.
0: Tell us in the chat who here has photographed their artwork for whatever purpose. And what was the experience like? Was it something that you struggled with? Did it take some time to develop? Because it is not easy. So we're gonna just run through a whole bunch of different issues that people do encounter. First one is poor framing. A lot of people will take photos of their artwork and they actually don't photograph the whole thing. Therefore, the artwork is cropped. But then if it's too far, you end up with lower resolution and really, you want it just right. The entire image, nothing's cropped, but as far in as you can get. And I find, Deep D, that when you're photographing your work, it's really easy just to forget all this stuff.
1: It is. I mean, it's kind of silly because this seems so simple. Like, of course, you want to photograph your work just right. Um, But it's almost like studying composition when you're making the work, but the photograph also has to compositionally be showing the work you created. You can't be cutting things off or have it be so far away that you actually don't even see all the details. Um, Yeah. It's kind of so simple, but sometimes so difficult.
0: (laughs) You don't want your photos out of focus. And this one, see, oh yeah, if it's blurry. Yeah. I'll definitely know. No, you actually won't know (laughs) because Some photographs, I'll look at them and I'll say, oh, yeah, that looks fine. But it actually isn't. And so it's very obvious when it's like this image is pretty clear cut that it's very, very blurry. But you can definitely have images where you don't see that it's out of focus until you zoom in. And so this is where shooting photographs of your artwork, you got to pay attention to this stuff especially if you're someone who,
1: you know, works a lot with like etching or crosshatching, or those really minute details are really important. I think the zoom test is a great way of making sure that it is actually in focus. So you're getting all the richness of your details captured in the photograph.
0: Always zoom in, even when you're like, I'm totally sure because I'm always wrong. And I get so paranoid that it's not gonna work that I literally will shoot 20 photos of the same artwork because you know what's the biggest pain is when you finally get around to photographing the work and you shoot everything and you go through and you're like oh I totally used the wrong light and you have to do it again and so actually taking your time and making sure you're not doing these things is an investment of your time.
1: Oh yeah it's like it speeds up the final process so much if you just invest that time into figuring out what that process is.
0: Photos are not cropped. And a lot of these fixes that we're telling people today, they're not difficult. They're not time consuming. I think it's more about having an awareness. Even make a checklist for yourself so you're not forgetting everything. Because if you have the drawing board or the easel, this is it not cropped. And it's like, oh, this would take me, what, five seconds of my phone to fix. And so you have to be thorough.
1: Absolutely. And the difference that it makes is huge. I mean, you could just see it side by side. When I'm looking at the not cropped version, I'm so distracted by all the little like frayed ends and the metal and the wood. And, you know, it's just completely distracting me from the work that you've done. So just cropping it takes two seconds. And then all of a sudden we're like locked in to what you want the audience to be locked into.
0: Also, sometimes you'll have artwork where there's just a big empty space. Now, in my opinion, you should take the time to make a background, but if you don't want to, it's like, why keep that in there if it's not necessary? Because this looks so much better. And especially, you have to remember, people are looking at artwork on a phone. And I always forget that when I take photos of things, that actually a lot of stuff, unless you maximize the square acreage of the phone, you can miss out a lot in terms of representing your work well.
1: Yeah, I mean, unless that negative space has purpose in the final piece, I think this is really useful for, like, sketchbook pages a lot of times. Like, you know, the negative space and the way you're using the page is sometimes not thought through. So I think making sure you're cropping for sketchbook pages or anything where that negative space isn't purposeful is really, really smart.
0: This one is trickier because definitely I think when you have pieces that have some sort of interaction. For example, this is a t-shirt design that somebody made and you have a model who's wearing it, which I do recommend because it looks weird when it's just the t-shirt by itself. It's always nice to see the context. And this is probably okay, but I actually find the face super distracting. And so what I tell people is instead of the full figure and the face, just crop the face. now. There's no right or wrong here, though. Some people might say, oh, no, I like seeing the face. What's your take?
1: I kind of agree. Like, I think humans are naturally attracted to, like, looking at another face more so than a design. And it's like, at the end of the day, what do you want people to pay attention to? It's your design. So I think the closer we could get to that design, um, like, actually close is, is better, in my opinion. I really like the image on the right. I think we still see it kind of, like, in action, like, how the design would live in space. Um, But, you know, the face and the legs and the watch and the bracelet, I don't think those are necessary elements to selling that final design.
0: I will also mention, though, how you make these choices is sometimes contingent upon the context. For example, I think the image on the right without the head, that's probably better for an art school portfolio where you really want the emphasis on that. But let's say you want to post it on social media and it's a little bit more fun, a little more casual, in that case, maybe it is better to have the face. So the thing about this stuff is there's no right or wrong, but you do have to think about context because people look at a portfolio differently than if they look at an Instagram post. We have some comments here. Doug says, most flat artwork is pretty easy to photograph. Same for most matte 3D stuff. It's really only transparent or shiny stuff. That's hard. Well. It's fairly straightforward, and I would say between the two, 2D is so much easier <laughs> to photograph. 3D is such a pain. Have you photographed 3D stuff, Dee
1: A little bit, but it gets so tricky with, like, shadows and getting that depth correct and the background and all of that. 2D is so much easier because you just crop out whatever's behind and you just focus in on it. But,
0: yeah, 3D, it does propose a lot of extra elements. Ginger says, I always have to photograph my artwork for school. Getting the whole painting in the frame when it's big is a struggle. Oh, I know some pieces are a pain. In fact, I had these drawings a long time ago. They were seven feet tall and I could barely, like I had to like push myself up against the wall. And so some work is just really inconvenient. Oh my gosh.
1: That was how I felt when I was in your class, Clara. All of your drawings that you made us do were so large. I could never photograph them well.
0: Blame it on me, right? (laughs) This is another one. When your whites are blown out, and you have to learn to identify is this a shooting problem or is this a photo editing problem? Because some things you can, oh, yeah, I can fix that. Some things you can't fix. And so if you shoot a photo and it comes out looking just like this, you can't get those grays back. And I think the problem is people rush the process. They don't take the time to take good photos and they say, oh, I'll just fix it in Photoshop later. But that's a terrible idea.
1: Yeah, you're losing details. You're losing things that you spent so much time to create. So and it takes, you know, like once you learn how to get your exposure right, it takes two seconds to correct this mistake in camera. So it really does make a big difference and it pays the right, you know, respect or it gives credit to the work that you've done. So I think it's, the impact is huge.
0: I'm curious, those of you who have photographed your work, what type of camera or phone are you using? Because <laughs> we did a stream a long, long time ago about how to photograph your artwork, and that's still our comprehensive tutorial. But back then I was like, oh, you shouldn't use your smartphone, you should use this. But now I rarely pick up my DSLR unless I'm making stuff I want printed, like hard copies, then I'll use my DSLR. But Deep Deep, I'm just finding that you can totally do all this on your phone.
1: I agree, especially it depends on where the final piece is going to live. Like, of course, if it's going to be blown up somewhere or like, you know, projected, maybe you need like a higher quality. But like the iPhone, Google Pixel cameras are like so high quality and Um, For something like Instagram or if you're submitting to like a show or something, it really does capture all the details you're looking for.
0: Photos are too dark. And this is oftentimes a lighting problem because certainly you can change things in your camera. Like if you have a DSLR, you can change all the settings and stuff like that. But I find that there's a lot of confusion about what light to use.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that getting accurate lighting like this, it's almost like you spend so much time creating the right kind of lighting in your painting, like capturing the right light, and then a photograph can just get rid of all of that in one fell swoop. So getting like a nice, even diffused lighting on your painting so that it accurately represents the lighting that you've captured, I think is so important.
0: I'm curious, what do people use? Because I have a professional lighting kit and they're actually not as crazy expensive as you would think they are. I think I got mine for 150 or something. You get two lights and stuff like that. So those are really handy. I just have them anyway. But I find 90% of the time when I just need to take a quick photo, I do it outside because the light outside is just a lot more powerful and the problem with a lot of interior lights is a lot of them are very yellow. And so it really messes up the color. Do you have a preference for lighting, Dee? Deep?
1: I think natural light works really well because it's also so like, it's not like directly from a bowl, it's still kind of like diffused. Like on a cloudy day, the lighting feels so perfect because it's really, it's not harsh, it's diffused. And it's kind of this really nice neutral kind of light. It just illuminates your painting or your, piece. Um, I I really prefer that. But I think if you're using lights indoors, like a lamp or something, having something to diffuse it, so it's not like the direct light from the bulb can be really, really helpful.
0: For indoor, I have a lighting umbrella, and that's fantastic. Or a lot of people have a softbox for lighting, and that's a huge difference in terms of getting the lighting to be more even. Here's another thing, oftentimes you'll have artwork, this is really common in printmaking, where you have a lot of border because oftentimes the paper is way, way bigger. But the thing is just because you have that border, it doesn't mean you need to keep it. And especially with let's say art school admissions, okay? You want the picture as big as possible. You have no idea what device they're looking at. Maybe it's a small computer, maybe it's a huge screen. And so you have to allow for all those differences. So Deep D, this is not a huge difference, but I think it matters. You need all that real estate.
1: I agree. I think especially for something like this, where it looks like it's maybe scratchboard or something. I love the fact that we're getting a closer view on all those different kinds of marks and getting to see all the like fabric details and stuff where Um, I don't really think that white border is adding anything to the process or the final product, whereas zooming in, I really do see a lot more um, that I think teaches me about what this piece is about and how this piece was created. And I think that's more valuable, especially like something for an art school portfolio. You want to show that technique off.
0: All right. So BK Pass has a Canon Rebel. Doug has several Nikons and a Google Pixel. Ginger says Canon, George says DSLR, and we have Counselor Chip with a Nikon D40. And we also have Janice here with an iPhone 13. I mean, I feel terrible that like, my life is so contingent on my phone. Like if I lost my phone, I feel like I would shrivel up and die. Everything's
1: on it. (laughs) Oh my gosh, the same. Yeah, I I really rely on that, that little
0: piece of metal a little bit too much. Color temperature, this one is actually very hard to do because there's a lot of factors. It's like, what's your lighting? How bright did you do it? Um, The painting itself. And I know for a lot of painters, this is a really tough one to do. And even sometimes in my head, I think I know what the painting looks like, but when I fix my photos, I actually will take the actual artwork. I'll put it next to what I'm editing on my computer. And oftentimes I'm like, oh, it's more green than I thought. yeah
1: definitely i think that that sometimes also what screen you're looking at can um change kind of how the colors are perceived so i like to look at things on like different screens like on my computer on my phone and try and like see what kind of color situation i can manipulate so that across the board it's a good representation of my piece because depending on where you're looking at it sometimes it can like vastly different the screen can like change the color
0: also, everybody, I would not underestimate what a skill photo editing is. Again, it seems like it should be easy, but it it does take some time. I don't think I'm that good at it. I know enough to get the job done. But I think the chronic issue, DD is that people underestimate how much work it is.
1: Absolutely. It's a lot of work, and there's so many little things that you can manipulate. So the better that you're at the skill of photo editing, the better accuracy you're going to have in the final product. But yeah, there's so many things you can
0: do. <laughs> Doodle Bob is asking, what's the easiest way to photograph bigger paintings? Tried to do it in sections, but each section had different lighting. Well, you probably need a more even light source. I would suggest taking it outside if you can, because that's going to be very quick and easy. I mean, certainly there's ways to like get the lights and tweak and do all the settings and everything. But for your average person who doesn't have all that camera expertise. That's usually the better way to go. But also, Doug is saying, you need to use a single manual exposure, very consistent light, then stitch automatically in Photoshop or whatever. I know Mia does that very often because she does not have a DSLR. So there certainly are options depending on the equipment that you have. Here's another one. When your saturation is inaccurate. For example, the print in the upper left, it's very muted, compared to this and that's a big difference you guys
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely the colors are popping so much more on the right and I think like if if you were to show me the image on the left I'd be like okay yeah like that looks fine to me but if I see it on the right I'm like oh that is that what it actually looks like in person that gives me such a different kind of approach to looking at it as a viewer um than on the left so there's you know there's no right way for me to be digesting it, but it's kind of how you want to present your final piece. Cause if it's a really saturated piece, it's like a, it's almost like seeing like a Lisa Frank image or like, you know, an an artist who does something with like really neon colors and seeing it muted. You're like, okay, interesting. And then you see how it's supposed to be. And you're like, oh, okay. Totally different perception that I'm getting now.
0: Because really what you're after when you photograph your artwork is accuracy. You want it to represent accurately what your drawing actually looks like, especially if you're photographing your work. Let's say you're printing a catalog for a gallery exhibition and people see that online, then they go to the gallery. You're like, what? (laughs) Like I thought it looked like that's not a good thing for that to happen. Uneven lighting. This is the one that I think is very hard to do and it's a problem and other dumb things like this is a, figure drawing I did it was a little wrinkled and you can see the wrinkles in the photo and oh my god it's like so different on the right. Uneven lighting is tricky too because
1: once you have that image if you're trying to edit it in post and like change the contrast or change the exposure or anything it's going to just continue to be uneven throughout like it's going to be really hard to like change it so that the exposure looks good on the bottom but it stays the same on the top so if it can really put you in sticky territory if the uneven lighting is present. So I think trying to get it as even as possible is really important.
0: For me, if it turns out really bad, I just reshoot because I'm sure there's a way to fix it in Photoshop, but I'm not that good at Photoshop. And in a lot of cases, actually faster to just reshoot rather than try to fix it in Photoshop. Most of the time, well, I don't know, maybe some people can fix it, but I think your average person can. not <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: This is the one that drives painters nuts is glare. And this is chronic because anything that has some sort of sheen, an oil painting, an acrylic painting, it's really, really hard to not have glare. The other tip that I would give people is before you varnish your painting, photograph it first, because a painting that all shiny with varnish that's even harder to shoot and th- this is just one that really stumps people deep Dee. and this is where you need help you can't figure this out yourself
1: yeah that tip about photographing before the varnish is really smart i never thought about that but yeah i think like that's when understanding photography and like lighting tools really comes into play like how you can diffuse the light source a little bit more so you get a more even light and it looks a little bit more like the image on the right rather than the image on the left but it does require a lot of play and trial and error i think
0: if you don't have someone kind of holding your hand
1: through the process
0: and you can't fix this there's no chance (laughs) this is going to get fixed in photoshop we have a whole tutorial on how to do this this is my quick fix If you only have a phone, you have no camera experience or equipment or anything, I always tell people shoot outdoors in the shade and usually has something to do with the angle of the painting. So if you just put it up straight in front of you and you're like, oh, there's glare. What I typically do is I just tweak the angle. And of course, I have to tilt my camera to do the same thing. But usually one of those angles with light in the shade will get something without glare. And so again, this is where you have to troubleshoot. You can't just be like, oh, I'll take a photo. Oh shoot, that didn't work. Don't do anything else. I mean, (laughs) this takes time.
1: Absolutely, there's a lot of like finicking around because sometimes your camera just can't get in a place where it's capturing it accurately. So you have to move the painting or the image or the light source. So it is almost like a dance between all of the elements to get the right recipe.
0: Another thing is if you have your artwork in some type of black and white media, let's say you have a charcoal drawing and you know it's black and white, it's common that you'll take the picture and it's just like a little bit not quite black and white. This version is super yellow looking. And so I find deeply that I just always turn it monochrome just to be on the safe side, because even sometimes you're like, oh yeah, it's black and white. But then you desaturate and you're like, oh, no, it was not.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like a white balancing issue. Um, I'm not super knowledgeable about that, but I think there's a way to like white balance when you take a photo. But a lot of times if it's black and white, you have the upper hand of like, yeah, you can just make things monochrome grayscale. And then there, we're done with that.
0: (laughs) So this drawing we're looking at here, a lot of people say, oh, it's fine. It's black and white, right? But the thing is, when you desaturate it, it's just like a little touch too yellow. So what I do if I'm using a black and white media, no matter how good I think the photo is, I just automatically desaturate it. I mean, it's the mono filter on your phone. I use that all the time. So this is just to make sure. And D, I I know it sounds like I'm being so picky about this stuff, but I really just think it matters. I think so too.
1: And I think if you're submitting to something like if you're trying to show off your art school portfolio for acceptance or trying to get into a gallery or something you never know what someone might find annoying or not like and I hate that but like I think (laughs) at the end of the day if it like accurately represents your art that's like the most that you can do that's the most um control that you can have as the person submitting so why not just take all the steps to get there even if it's small and nitpicky
0: So this is interesting. Sarah's bringing up this issue of monitors, calibration. If yours is correct for print, you'll find it's still helpful. And George says, if you don't get things accurate on your monitor, no chance it will be right on anyone else's. And it's tricky because as Doug says, you can't count on your viewers monitors to be calibrated. We can't fix that. And I feel for digital artists because their work could be so different, looked on a different monitor.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. It's something that's kind of I'm like, how do you fix that? Like Doug says, there's really no actual solution. So, I mean, yeah. I try, I don't have, like, I feel like I don't really have a solution, but I think looking at it on a couple different monitors, if you're like submitting yeah. to something really big is a good way of at least seeing, um. A couple different options and making sure that it
0: looks at least close. This is another picky thing. <laughs> when your photo has a little blemish, you can look at that. Oh, it's fine. Yeah, looks good. It's not. There's a little bit of dust.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, I was looking. I was like, what am I supposed to be seeing in this? Yeah.
0: Okay, maybe this is a little extreme, but especially if you're going to have something printed at a fairly large size maybe on a phone that looks fine but maybe printed as an 18 by 24 print it's not so the key thing that we're trying to push you guys you have to be thorough check everything i had a colleague he used to say to me artists live and die by their photographs It's a little dramatic
1: yeah that is that is a little dramatic i would say but it is true it is yeah. in a lot of ways what what speaks for us after the piece has been created.
0: This is a chronic problem, and this you cannot fix with Photoshop, is sometimes people will put their piece on the ground and take a photo, but the light is like behind them, and then your phone or camera casts a shadow. You have to watch out for this because this is really is terrible. Like, there's sort of different degrees of offense. (laughs) If bad photo like this one's really bad yeah this just looks
1: really unprofessional in my opinion like it's something that i feel like it's just you aren't paying attention um and i think some of the other ones we've talked about are kind of like really nitpicky and can be overlooked but having just a shadow over your whole piece is kind of like come on <laughs> did you <laughs> yeah, if yeah. you're not noticing that you're not noticing a lot of things <laughs>
0: This one's tricky. Confusing layouts. Now we're getting into some of the different options, because I find sometimes, especially with art school portfolios, people are trying to cram so many images into the portfolio. And so oftentimes what you'll get, people will just stick all the images together. But then it's like, no, this looks like, what is this? But then when you add those borders, it's like, oh, I understand it's four different drawings. And this is, again, is confusing because there's no standard for how to go about doing this. But you do have to think about the layout. Like, what's wrong with this?
1: I think this is just, there's too much going on. And like each thing has so much details and so much like background for like each piece, each square is pleading for my attention. So there's just way too much. You can't focus on something. I think in these situations, when you're creating kind of like a grid or collage or something of images, it's really great to get a second opinion from someone and see if it's laid out in a way that feels digestible and they understand like what the point is, like why are there so many images here or like how if there's a hierarchy of images, because here I'm like, I don't really see how they relate to each other. Um, and I want to almost like zoom into each one and be like, okay, what am I looking at here? Whereas if it was just the heart on the top left, and then we had, um, closer like detail shots throughout, I think like, you know, like a large one of the heart and then two or three detail shots. I think that would make more sense to me to use in this format.
0: I would not recommend this for your art school portfolio because, I see people doing this all the time where they have a piece and they have a long explanation that they want to be read with it and this just makes it really hard to focus on the artwork and second of all most places you're putting your artwork there is an option for a text caption like slide room has a little section where you can type stuff in i mean look at the difference between the left on the right. It's like a world of a difference. All of a sudden, you're reading that. That means you're not focusing on the artwork. And in art school portfolios, that's a big problem because they're not spending an hour looking at each portfolio. They're flipping through them so fast. And I think, deeply. Deep, oftentimes people feel like the desire to explain themselves a lot when they're submitting mm-hmm. their work, but it actually is a problem.
1: Yeah, I think we all as artists, and I'm also like very much guilty of this need to let our work speak for itself and I think that comes from like okay why are you creating this work what is it you know let your work speak for itself and a lot of times there is a place for you to write all of this so just save that for that text box that they provide you with and if not you want their focus to be on the work um not on like the jargon that goes along with it
0: 3D is a whole other can of worms, and I suggest to everybody watch the comprehensive tutorial because there's a ton in there. I have this pet peeve about the background being two different colors. I just find that it's really hard to see the sculpture. You have this horizon line that sort of cuts the background in half. So this is what I recommend, is you get a neutral sheet of paper and you tape it at the top and onto the table, and then you have this nice, smooth, even background that makes it a lot easier. And this is just never a good idea if you're trying to present finished work. I mean, it's a mess back there. You can't even see the sculpture. Yeah.
1: And it's like, what is actually in focus? Your camera is going to yeah. be like picking up weird things. And, you know, you want people to be focused on the work. And if the background is distracting, that's absolutely not going to happen.
0: We have a question here from Janice. Who says is taking photos outside the magic way to avoid all those complicated lighting issues when taking them inside here's the thing technically speaking as doug says you can totally control everything if you have the right light equipment you know what you're doing you have experience with photography But for those of us who never took a photography class and cannot do all those things, taking it outside is the way to go. I do it all the time, especially when I need to do something fast. I mean, the basic thing is you want to shoot it somewhere that's not like direct light. I have this little area that's next to my front door that is underneath the roof. And so it's always in the shade and it's pretty even lighting. So, DP, I find sometimes you have to scout for a spot in your home that you know is going to work. Yeah, definitely.
1: Even, like, the sun can be really intense direct lighting that creates really harsh shadows, so finding something that's, like, outside but in the shade, I find. But as Doug was saying, like, a cloud can cover the sun, and then all of a sudden the lighting situation has changed. So if you want to have complete 100% control, then shooting inside with all the gadgets is probably the way to go, but not all of us have access that um, or the skills to do
0: that another thing with 3d art it's especially important not to crop it and i see this all the time or in some cases i even see people doing stuff like this where there's just all this background and it's like you don't need it just crop it so we can see the entire thing 3d is really hard even if you have fairly decent equipment or experience. Like I am not a photographer. I don't have all those skills, but it's still a lot of work for me. Like I have to rethink angles and lighting and stuff like that. Yeah. Views absolutely. of 3D artwork. So what's wrong with this slide, DD? I think that
1: we're not really getting too much added information between each image. I think that like, some close ups or some different angles um, where we're looking at the sculpture from different perspectives would be really useful. Here it's kind of like all the same distance. It's almost like it's, almost like it's just rotating in front of me, but I don't think that's as useful. Maybe I, I would love to get closer and see some texture or see some facial um, qualities or
0: something like that. Most of the time for 3D, especially for portfolios, I usually recommend three images tops. Once you get to like five or six, it's just too much to pack into the slide. And so you have to almost justify why you need a certain point of view. So what this sculpture does that the other one did not is the center image is bird's eye view. And in the other one, you were just seeing the side views. And so you have to tell yourself that, okay, with every photo, Somebody seeing of my 3D artwork, they're learning something new. There's new visual information that's being provided that was not shown in some of the other shots. And oh <laughs> Doug, this is why you're so good at this product photography. Yes, and it really helps to talk to somebody who knows what they're doing because deep deep people aren't born with these skills. No, not at all. I mean uh- hand me a dslr and i don't know the first
1: i I would not know how to how to do anything with it so um or like even a lighting and a lighting umbrella it took me a while to figure out like where does the umbrella go (laughs) um so yeah it's it's definitely a lot of learning and a lot of skills so if you have someone who can help you with that amazing
0: We have two more workshops in September. We do have spots open for selling your art and food illustration. What's really fun about the workshops is you get feedback in real time as you're making the artwork. I mean, not selling your art, but for food illustration, absolutely. (laughs) You'll make the work and we'll talk to you in real time. Join our Art School Portfolios group. I really think, Deep D, this is the best thing we've ever come up with to support students who are applying for BFA and MFA applicants because you get ongoing consistent support. But most of all, you get to meet other students in a positive learning environment. That's not everybody trying to up each other. And I find that group learning experience is very helpful.
1: Oh my gosh. It's awesome. I mean, also imagine being like, I mean, I was kind of one of the few people at my school who was pursuing higher education in the arts and it would have been amazing to have a space where I was able to talk to so many people and be like, how are you? How would you address this? Or what are you up to? And where are you at? It's such a cool resource. And then, you know, I'm in there. It's it's I'm in there. Yeah, you're in there. It's it's just a really fun place. It makes me almost like miss miss that phase in my life.
0: Really? I don't miss art school admissions.
1: <laughs> that was really stressful.
0: <laughs> Join us in the Discord right after the stream. We will be in the post live streams channel to chat about photographing your artwork or, I don't know, sushi. I was thinking today about how bad the sushi is in Utah. So if you want to chat about that, we'll be in the Discord. Big shout out to our wonderful, loyal, top Patreon supporters who make it possible for us to continue to provide free content visit artprof.org. We have tons of content out there that's not on YouTube. Use the search bar. ArtProf has a podcast. It's available on Spotify and also on iTunes. And subscribe to our channel for tutorials, critiques, and business tips. Everybody, thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye.